Hey, believe it or not, Jason Kalar likes movie theaters. And that's really important because theaters need to start playing a major role. Think about Avatar coming out in the next few weeks. How is that even going to work unless we get to experience it in a theater? That and DC, when they're talking about this new game they're playing at Warner Brothers with the DC comic space, theaters have to play a major role. So we want theaters to come back. We talk about this and all the leadership decisions that need to be made to set Hollywood right on this episode of Hollywood Breaks. Enjoy. Wish I had a beer on me. This is my chance to actually drink a beer. I'm disappointed you don't have a beer. I mean, if I had a beer, it'd be a little weird because it's 9 a.m. This is the moment. This is it. This is some, I'm so far ahead of you. I can actually be drinking Vision Craft Brew (laughs) right here, right now. Literally, not just in your, you know, the brew of your mind, but actual beverage. And Keith, I went down to the bar and I asked, do you have Vision Craft Brew? And they didn't have it. We haven't gotten to Europe yet, Tim. We're oh, working on it. I see. I see how it is. <laughs> I got to hire an international distributor before we can go that far. <laughs> I recommend there. giving that a shot because Paris would be a good place to be drinking some uh, Vision Crafts brew. Also, yeah. give me an excuse to go to Paris, right? I could go see yes. how they're setting up the setting up the yeah. brew and see if it works. Yeah. Listen, if you want an excuse, this the place I'm staying, um, it's like two doors down and across the street from a restaurant called... I'm going to totally ruin this name. So someone has to correct me on the pronounce it in French properly. But Le, Le Du Magu, it's like um, the two maggots, I think is what, are you, how you translate it here. Really? Yeah. But my favorite story about this place is J.J. Uh, Abrams and Lawrence Kasten sit, sat here and wrote episode seven of Star Wars right here at this restaurant here. No on way. The corner. Kid you not, it's the story of, of the place. And they loved it because everyone around them spoke French and they were processing Star Wars. He said you could, the public could have literally sat there and listened to the new Star Wars movie being played out um, as they went through it. Wow. Right? Why so, why Paris? Is that where, does that where Lawrence Kasdan lives now? Keith, or, why not Paris? Why, I think not? that's what you have why to. Why not? Indeed. Yeah. I think they were looking for Vision Craft somewhere. Brew. Why not? They were, they were driving around trying to find where they had it. And they ended up right here. Well, don't say they were drinking it because I don't want any credit <laughs> for The Force Awakens. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't I give, think I don't read give Vision Craft Brew any, any credit for The Force Awakens. I read that in like some uh, airline magazine. Oh, Virgin, that's kind of cool. Virgin so Atlantic. Is that like why that. you specifically sought out that location? Because you wanted to be right there? Because um, I know you are a fan of The Force Awakens, so I don't that wanna... is That is so close to my heart that you would think <laughs> that's why we came to this area. But no, that's not why we came here. This, oh. Is, oh, this wow. is the best part. If you ask me, the best part of Paris is this. It's called Saint-Germain. It's the area of shopping and restaurants. And okay. Across, nice. this, across the river from us is um, the Louvre. And Notre Dame is not Notre too Dame. far away. So... It's a it's a great location. How's Notre Dame looking? Well, they started rebuilding it, haven't they? Um, yeah, it's there, there's definitely construction. Yeah, um, all around it. Still a great sight to see. Mm. It's this is an awesome yes. city, and and winter time and Christmas time, it's awesome because all the Christmas villages that are around. Oh, we, we just came from Vienna and we in Amsterdam too. So the Christmas villages are just popping up all over Europe. It's awesome. You just walk around and drink. That's not, that is a good idea going to europe yeah. for christmas good for you Tim. Yeah. i'm impressed yeah. thanks now i know who to turn to when i when my wife and i decide to plan our, our <laughs> yes. trip to europe and christmas 
I'll tell Sarah, listen, like, hey, I'll just call him. Just call Tim. He'll plan the whole thing for us. He's He's been there over the holidays. He knows. <laughs> but listen, I, uh, I've had time to read and I've read um, Founders Brew. Nice. Pretty awesome. Andrew yeah. Rosen's newsletter was great this week. He talked about it was. the, um, what was it called? The, the effect. The, the link letter um, effect. The link letter effect. Yeah. Um, really great. I've been catching up on films and. I'm out there. You you really were hammering uh, Kalar this week on your in in your newsletter. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I, I think that's a little strong term, Tim. I wouldn't say I was hammering him, but I, you know, I he wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal for those of you who have not read the Founders Brew yet, um, and it was more or less a description of sort of where we were from pretty much 2010 onward in terms of the industry. And then, you know, the subsequent DVD dropouts and then the pivot to streaming, you know, then the the pandemic and sort of now we're sort of in this weird place of like, are we going to do streaming or what's happening? And, you know, I thought it it was interesting um, mainly because, as I noted in the newsletter, he definitely wrote as with a very much a um, love of the industry and what movies and entertainment are capable of doing and yet and as i commented it didn't seem like that really came out much during his tenure at warner media it seemed like it was almost a it when he was at warner media it was almost like you know we have to fail and fail fast and i have to get hbo max up and running so whatever it takes to do that consequences be damned and then the article sort of you know, it's almost like in a ref- in sort of looking back, he's sort of was like, yeah, it was kind of cool to work in that industry and be involved in these crafting of these really cool stories. And and he was he was optimistic. He's like, this is just one bumpy road, and the industry will evolve. I mean, he kind of leaned a little bit more into sort of the idea of more consumer centric experiences. You know, i.e., sort of alluding to the metaverse, which I'm not convinced is 100 percent the future, but yeah, and the theaters, right? He talked about even yeah. a three the theater throwback. Yeah, it's interesting that that um, you know his his approach to it because he you can imagine the, uh, the early thought process of Hulu, let's say, of what mm-hmm. it means to put things on streaming, and you can imagine how that sounds so disruptive to a theater yeah. theater going audience that yep. they probably acted very slow. They really were pivoting in the cord cutting scene getting around television more than they cared about the theatrical releases releases really yeah and who uh, opposed to netflix they were saying like no we're gonna be in films and sometimes make tv shows right. i feel like hulu is like we're gonna try and make tv shows and then sometimes you know just like tv has film on it we'll go that way in yeah. reality the user experience is nearly the same i'm looking using my television set to watch it call it a film call it a tv show i don't care it's mm-hmm. gonna right. look like this it's gonna work like this right yeah so the um, the precursor for that, and then when the pandemic hits, it was such an odd like play that he had the opportunity to kind of set the game and understand how it happened. He did wasn't afraid of HBO Max, but as you pointed out in your article, he was just slow to understand what how the community would respond to that kind of a pivot. Yeah, I mean, I, I and I think that sort of when he was hired, everyone's like, wait, who's this guy? <laughs> <laughs> like nobody really remembered that he was actually the first CEO of Hulu. And I think, you know, when, when anybody comes from the outside in the industry, it's always sort of like, you look at them with this, like, 
you know, okay, do they really understand how this industry works and how relationship based it is? And everyone wants to come in and said, I, I can fix it. I can fix it. And I think a lot of people look to Jason Kalar as sort of this tech bro guy who came in and the tech, you know, mantra is fail fast, fail often. And so he's like, all right, we're just going to start breaking shit left, right, and center. Now, obviously, looking back, Project Popcorn, which was the pushing of all W Wonder Brothers releases onto the HBO Max platform, sort of during the 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 almost the height of the pandemic when you know we were dealing with all the variants and no one knew what was happening. Um, obviously, it was success for HBO Max. It really put it on the map. It you know put a lot of you know eyeballs when people really weren't comfortable going to the theaters. But he completely forgot the relationship angle and just ignored the creative community and just did it. Didn't have the necessary conversations with all the talent who, you know, put a lot of blood, sweat and tears, not to mention in front of the camera, behind the camera to make sure this movie looks as good as possible for a theatrical experience. And then you're just dumping it into HBO Max just to save your streamer. And I think there there could have been some finesse there that I think, and I, he, I, I would imagine would rightfully acknowledge that there were some mistakes made there. Maybe even that's why he's pulling back with the theatrical comments of just famous. Yeah. Yeah. That's why he's kind of, he had an entire paragraph about the theatrical experience and how Alamo draft house and, you know, those kinds of experiences may be the future. And I'm like, well, you could have leaned in and helped them out a little bit, you know, like you could have negotiated with Alamo draft house or, you know, and then he brings up, you know, the dragon uh, doing an exclusive um, premiere of the dra- um, House of Dragon at a movie theater, which, as I pointed out in the newsletter, Robin Geisen has mentioned before on the, here, which is a great idea. Um, well, why didn't he lean in and help do that when he had the power? I mean, it's, it, it's just interesting, these sort of afterthoughts. It's because Robin said it afterward and he's been listening to us. <laughs> yeah, right. So now he's now he's been, and he's listening to us yeah, now. Right. Now he's getting it. Now he's understanding, yeah, yeah. which is right. why he you know, talked about, you know, the theatrical experience needs to evolve, which yes, it does. He's clearly we, a fan of, of Hollywood breaks. Clearly. Yeah, obviously he's obviously a regular listener. So, you know, it, it's interesting that there's this sort of this after a thought like, Oh yeah, this, this, you can do this, you can do this. Well, it's like, well, why didn't you do some of those things when you were in charge? Like you could have figured out a way to maybe take some of those releases like a Dune, which really probably could have done really well in a theatrical aspect, and tried to work out something with an Alamo draft hour, where like you know do yeah. do it on HBO Max, but then help out sort of the fledgling you know theaters. I don't know what that looks like, but it been would have been worth experimenting at least. Um, if you're gonna throw an entire slate onto HBO Max, Paramount won that game. They just were willing to do what they needed to, and maybe just the the push from the Quiet Place made Paramount dive into it yeah. sooner than later they didn't have a choice right. um but they also didn't fight the creative side um I, I feel like uh warner brothers was in the middle and disney was on the other side really just i mean because just keep in mind disney uh, and scarlett johansson's um clash where they basically said sure we're gonna do a release it and then didn't give her full, full credit for how, what the film would have done in the theaters um so the time of pandemic but kalar is an, an interesting character because of his the time that he spent at Warner Brothers and the mm-hmm. moment that he, he had. Um, yeah. You know, we know uh, Bob too was released recently from Disney. Like the, the transition time has been a very short time for some of these CEOs. Yeah. And trying to figure out really what the future is going to be. We know like the last two years or three years is not the future. It might have just been a recovery stage. 
yeah. or, Bump or not the road. necessarily a pivot. And no one really gained much through this process, except for, again, maybe Paramount. Um, who's yeah. sitting on a couple billion dollars because of their investment, their proper investments. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, with Bob the second, as we talked about a little bit last week with Tim Heindel, it would have been interesting to see that experiment play out a little longer, just so we could see some more data, um, maybe get a little more insight into what data Disney, the soon to be probably ended Disney Media and Entertainment Distribution Unit, was using to determine where things were going. Like what, what, where, what were the metrics? How are you making those decisions? Um, cause it was like, it was like a mystery. So nobody really understood it. Um, but there, you know, there were aspects of it that made sense. And now it's sort of like, now it's probably going to go away and we're going back to the way things were, but is that really the future per se? So, you know, there are certain things that have been done in the pandemic by people like Kalar and Bob the second that you wish could have played out a little bit more. And you wonder if they would have been a success or not, um, just because it was yeah. sort of like the, the with the as you said with the quick transition, it just felt like you know okay we're going to abandon completely abandon what the guy before me was doing, and now we're going to try something. To- we're going to go back to the way we, what we were doing before. Now, that's not to say that Iger and his new team of let's figure out how this is going to work is going to come back with the exact same thing pre-pandemic. Or whether or not it's going to be some amalgamation of what Chapik was doing and, you know, way things were when Igor was there. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out as well. Totally. Um, you know, even Warner Brothers isn't doing so well after um, Kalar either. This goofy no. thing that's happening with DC Comics is like, what? Yes. The, have they lost control of one of their... <laughs> greatest brands they had control <laughs> over should they just give it up and hand it over to some maybe they should give it well, to sony give sony a chance to, to yeah. mess up with some comic well books yeah I, I worry when you put tom rothman and comic books together that makes a little makes me a little nervous but uh yeah it's uh you know so for those of you who don't know this week has been a very interesting week in the dc world um i think it was wednesday an article came out in the Hollywood reporter basically saying that the new plan that James Gunn and Peter Safran are putting together now, heads of DC, um, is basically going to scrap pretty much everything from the Snyderverse, including talent. So, and just going to maybe just start over from start over from the beginning with a whole new plan and how we're going to attack these characters. And it's interesting because when I was reading that article, um, it was pretty detailed, which means they probably had a pretty high up source. It wasn't just like an assistant somewhere or, you know, a mid-level mid-manager. And it felt like it was maybe potentially serving two roles. One, essentially announcing to the talent, we're not afraid to get rid of you. So don't come to us with your ridiculous demands of $15 million payas and back ends. Like we're not afraid to dump you. Right. And sort of tangentially to that, also, let's see how this plays out in the universe. Like, if we were to dump Henry Cavill as Superman, which, as most of you know, made a triumphant return about a month ago in Black Adam, and it was a little bit, it felt a little presumptuous, sort of like, yes, we're making Man of Steel 2, and Dwayne Johnson running around saying, I brought Henry back as Superman because he's the people's Superman, and we're going to make so much money on this movie, and that's not making that much money. And, you know, it just felt a little presumptuous to be so assured that everything was moving forward. And maybe that was what was discussed. But once the new heads came on, it's like, okay, now all bets are off. 
So it might be a way to sort of see how this all plays out. And then, of course, James Gunn came out the next day on Twitter saying, okay, so about that article, some of it's true, some of it's not, some of it's blatantly false. But he didn't clarify which is which. But I I could see a sort of game going on here because, you know, obviously Mike DeLuca and Pam Dabdi, who are the heads of Warner Brothers, James Gunn and Peter Safran have been around a long time. They know how to play the game. And I think this is a little bit of a chess match. They're trying to, they're saying, okay, here's what they're floating ideas for two, uh, again, for two reasons. Uh, A call to action because Black Adam was so underperforming. Like it, yes. Like they had to basically put Dwayne Johnson in his place for a moment. So they're basically showing their ability and showing their muscles, not just flesh muscles, but an actual put spot behind (laughs) the scene. Yeah, and saying, "Look at Dwayne. I, we appreciate the effort you put into it. It didn't work out. We're not, we didn't make tons of money that we're going to keep on going with the universe that you believe you've created and brought back." Right. Yeah. Um, but this is a poor way of doing it. Like to to put that out there in the world to see where the fans are going to respond to it. I feel like they're just disrupting more of something that they have they barely held on to. Yeah, I mean, this is a difficult thing because we went through this a lot when I was at Fox. Um. The leadership at the time responded a lot to what was happening online, which is a very small, specific subset of an audience. Yes, they're loyalists, but the ultimate reality is they're going to the movie regardless. They can bitch and moan about the trailer and this shot and this guy's guy's costume or this character's costume, but they're going to go. If only so they can hate on it and say, I was right. The problem is for these movies there needs to be a growth potential. And I think we're hitting the point where we're not, it's not, it's almost flat lighting and it's starting to tilt in the wrong direction, right? So I think we have to start thinking about ways to grow the audience. Now, I often go back to Days of Future Past, which in my mind was one of the best X-Men movies. And one of my colleagues I was working with at the time is not a comic book fan. And I sent her the third trailer just being like, hey, what do you think of this? Because I'm I'm a comic book. I, I know about comic books. I grew up reading them. So I kind of know the ins and outs. And what she said to me, she's like, this is the first trailer I've seen of a comic book movie that makes me feel like I am not a comic book fan, would still enjoy it and understand the story. Nice. I felt like I could show up and still enjoy it as a movie, not as part of a comic book. Right. So it's like a every man's story opposed to some kind of inside inside baseball. That like that's exactly yeah. the word she used. This movie didn't feel like it was inside baseball. And I think that is what Mar- DC in particular needs to start doing. Stop with sort of like these movies that are so inside baseball. It's okay to listen to the fans. There's nothing wrong with that. You do want them their support because they can be very vocal. But at the end of the day, you have to, you're you're making a movie that has to appeal to a broad audience. And has an opportunity to grow its audience. And I think what we're starting to see with a lot of these comic book movies is that the audience is starting to peak and is now diminishing because it feels the same movie over and over and over again. So now maybe we have to start thinking broader and not be so concerned with the fans and you know what they are, what they're thinking, what their problems are. Um, there are a lot of problems with the Snyder movies. There's no doubt about that. There are a lot yeah. of problems with them, and it has it, it wasn't all the fans. They just weren't that appealing to people who weren't diehards, you know, in it 
24 seven and, you know, sitting in their basement reading comic books all the time. Like that's just well, not we done with that. I mean, isn't, hasn't he, isn't Snyder told his story? Look at the in the can. They already exist. They're not going to go anywhere. If you'd like them, right. you can still watch them. Yeah. But aren't we finished with that version of it? And it's time to find a different version. And we have to find characters that do relate to us. I like the idea of if we're going to play in the comic book space, that it's a relatable situation right. that there is, you know, it's evolved with, I don't know, the contemporary times. To right. me, I think Wonder Woman 1984 was an absolute disaster. I don't know. Oh, I don't I don't get that at all. You steal one of the greatest. I don't know how that movie was even made. <laughs> you steal the title of one of the greatest novels of all time, and then you don't have any reference to it or any right. preference for it at all. It doesn't yeah. just didn't make any sense. It felt like no, it was it uh, made by committee. Right. So yes, I, exactly. maybe James Gunn is basically going to flex his muscles here for a moment. He's going to have the James Gunn version of it and kind yeah. of just get rid of all the baggage and start right. over and do it his way. Yeah, supposedly he's, you know, he and Peter Safran are, you know, locked up somewhere. I've, they got specific even to say where they were locked up, like all the way in Aspen. They might right here. In, they might be in Paris. They, they, they might, might be, be right Paris. here at this restaurant, right? But <laughs> I believe the they're in Aspen. They were in Aspen. I don't know if they're still there, but that's apparently where they had, and you know, Not disappeared to to focus. And I guess he was talking. James was talking to a lot of writers and sort of spitballing ideas. Um, which is, you know, it's great. I mean, there's a there's a rich tapestry of characters they can use um, to build a whole new plan. I mean, apparently this is going to be like a 10 year plan that they're going to present to Zaslav, I think, next week mm. and sort of lay out their vision for the next 10 years. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with starting over again. Like, you know, there there's a lot there are a lot of assets to the actors that Snyder brought in. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you want to restart. Maybe you, you know, it's time to start with new talent and, you know, a lot of the talent that's there now, they're not spring chickens. And if you want to invest in 10 years, like Henry Cavill is almost 40, you want a 50 year old Superman at the end of this? I don't think so. So, you know, I think the reality is that they may have to start looking to the future. Now it's impossible that there could be sort of like reboots in the way of the Batman has done it, where you have a couple actors do three movies and then you reboot it and bring in a younger actor, which is entirely possible. But I think the article, the reporter was probably also a way of saying, okay, we'll, we'll do maybe one or two more movies with you, but then you're being put out to pasture. Yeah, sure. We're bringing in all new talent. And it's going to be interesting to see if they tie in sort of the CW shows, which given next star taking over CW probably means that those shows aren't going to be as relevant as they once were because of, you know, next star pulling away from expensive originals. Sure. So how's that all going to tie in? So there, there's a lot of questions they have to answer, but I think this was the first sort of test, test buoy, if you will, to say, okay, let's, let, let's see how this, this plays out. And, you know, from what I can see, there wasn't anyone like, oh, this is awful. This is terrible. You know, Gail Dio's my only Wonder Woman, you know, Henry Cavill's my she only She was Superman. a pretty great Wonder Woman. I hated she the was movie, great. But... I was actually sad to hear that because I really liked her as Wonder Woman, but yeah, you know, at the end of the day, you know, she, you know, Wonder Woman 1984. I feel like we need one more movie from her. Like, I feel like the first one was absolutely set the stage for, for a really amazing character. Yeah. Robin Wright's character, all the whole backstory that's there. Yeah. The, the love relationships, a little goofy, but then 1984 was such a disaster. I feel like we need, you know what I mean? Like the third part of the trilogy is often really good. Like the second yeah. is the second act isn't the best act, so we can forgive it. Except in like, the case of Dark Knight. <laughs> 
Well, that's probably, where the second yeah. one was like the, the, yeah. the best and of the three. Toy Story Two was pretty good too. I wouldn't want to yeah. call them on Toy Empire Story. Empire Strikes Back, arguably the best of the first three. Um, uh, that's what I was kind of thinking. Uh, four, five, six—the first, yeah. the first, uh, this is the first trio. So, yeah, you yeah, know, we'll see. Well, they, I think they definitely they, didn't do that in 1984, but maybe the test plan themselves. for like the fan base. Let's bring back something, you know amazing spectacle is what we're going to see soon with avatar maybe this will give us a sense of like how the fans yeah. would respond to an mm-hmm. you know an old storyline bringing it back playing itself out and it's ca- coming out soon i think the press has already kind of done some screenings of it and there's some news out there that it's um visibly pretty great they had the premiere i believe it was last mm, tuesday i think in london um and you know, again, you have to take caveat. Press reactions are often you know, to Black Adam, because we were just talking about it. The press reactions to that were were overwhelmingly positive, and then the reviews were not so much. So you got to take it for the grain of salt. But um, the most part, the reactions have been what we expect: an amazing expect, amazing visual spectacle, like jaw dropping visuals. It looks amazing. You feel like you're there. Um, and then, you know, Kyle Smith, who's a, the film reviewer for the Wall Street Journal, Wall Street Journal, uh, I think he summed it up just right. You know, like it's a spectacle. It's great. It's visuals are amazing. I found myself not really caring about the characters and, you know, it kind of just ends. Then there's no like resolution, which again, makes sense somewhat because they've got three more ep- movies coming. Yeah, sure. Yeah. They're episode one, right? Yeah. But that's, that's, I mean, that's what be what to expect. Um, the, the important thing is whether or not it's enough to get people to show up. Now, tracking right now, I think, is 175, 180 for the weekend. So that's <laughs> pretty good, to say the least. Yeah. But um, as Cameron has mentioned, it needs to make a buttload of money. So in order to justify the expense and how much money they've spent on it. So plus the fact that there's three more coming. So it, it seems to me that it, it could start out really well, but we'll see if it holds. And you're right. And this I think is the this... first one under Iger's new reign. Like, I think yeah. there, there might be some critical nature to making a smart decision after the box yeah. office plays itself out and saying, yeah. hey, is it new CEO? Do I keep it going because we've made promises and have a big picture? Or do we say, it's not exactly the box office hit we want to. We got to get down to business, cut expenses yeah. where we need to and get rid of it. It's going to, it's a critical time for for this kind of a story to play itself out. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. that the characters aren't, you know, I think the flaw of the first one is again, I couldn't name one character. I know there's not one quotable line that I remember. Yeah. I kind of barely remember the storyline. I just remember yeah. it being a theatrical experience that was, you know, worth going to like a 40 movie that was worth interesting going to. Well, it's interesting because that's something that Tim and I addressed last week when we, when we were sort of talking about the overarching campaign and, something that Tim and I both agreed on because we worked on the first one and we went through the pains of research and figuring out how to tell this story and what what the research told you know Tim and eventually was relayed to us is that we need to tell the story through Jake's perspective start with Jake give them someone to identify to feel like the magic how you know going to Pandora the first words I think in the trailer are Jake like he's that's the first word that's the name of the character and in this point we don't get any of that we see none of that we go right to pandora 
There's no sort of like we're back on Earth. Um, there aren't any real humans even shown. Actually, it's all mm-hmm. Navi. So it's interesting that they chose to do it that way versus like, okay, let's let's remind people about Jake and you know Sigourney Weaver character, who I guess is a, a different Navi this time around. And whether or not any of the, I think Giovanni Verbisi is coming back. I know Kate Winslet's in it, but I don't know if she's a human or if she's a Navi. So yeah, it's right. like, there's, <laughs> there's all these questions, which I'm not saying you can't, you have to answer every question. I'm just saying, I think there were lessons we learned in the first one that seemed to be somewhat put aside for this campaign. So it, it, it I, I'll be interested to see like if the, th- the experience of it is enough to get people to continually come back because that's what that's what made the first one a hit it wasn't the story it wasn't the acting it was the experience it was this overwhelming i feel like i'm in the movie versus things coming at me that really hadn't been done in a long time and that's why people were talking about it and i don't i mean maybe that will happen again maybe there are spectacles in this one that yeah raises it to the next level he shot it in water i mean there it wasn't like you know, take Aquaman, for example, where the water effect was more CGI versus actually shooting people in water. So, you know, there's that aspect, which may make it even more spectacular. But again, we don't know. We don't we, we don't really know that until we start seeing. Yeah, more I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm going to go because as it's as it's supposed to, the marketing's made me curious. And yeah, you know, I, I went to the first one, got to go to the second one just to see. Yeah. I feel like yep. it's a throwback. Probably grab my kids and make them sit through it. And I hope it's not, they don't have the experience I did it with Top Gun of like, I understood the storyline, but I don't get why, what all these references are. And I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> shoot, I forgot to prep you right. that there was yes. a previous movie that I would yes. never let you watch because it's from right. the 80s. Yeah. But uh, there was some thumbs up right here. Um, but I, you know, it's interesting. I, I was chatting with um, a friend of mine, uh, Ryan Summers, and he, he and I were talking about just how Disney has lost some of its magic. Um, with mm. Lasseter gone, they lost James Gunn. They really don't have a creative force behind them like they've used to. Yes, and then they took on this library, something like Avatar. They have James Cameron in there. And we'll see how well they can support him and follow through with a vision from him. But you're just wondering if like Disney is stepping up on the creative game. Are they going to understand really what it's like to have the responsibility of these characters and not just exploit them? And all of their universes and all of their material on every platform that they own forever kind of a thing, you know. Yeah. But actually kind of go back to telling stories and do what Disney does best. So to me, this is what Iger has to start weighing in on in Mm -hmm. the future is we are Disney. We are storytellers. We get the big picture stuff. If Avatar is not sticky, then Disney has really is broken because that's what Disney's always done. It's made sticky characters and sticky plots. and. Yeah, I think this is, I mean, because here's, so let's just take a, let's take a step back here and look at the last few releases. So you take Disney as a whole. So you had Buzz Lightyear, which did not do well. Yeah. Um, then you had Wakanda Forever, which is doing well, but is tracking behind the original with the caveat that it's 30 minutes longer, which is obviously going to affect the box office in some way. And then you have Strange World, which was an absolute bomb. And it's going to cost the company upwards of, if you read some reports, $150 million when yeah. they've just lost $1.4 billion on <laughs> content in the last quarter. So you're right. There is a lot of problems at Disney right now. And I think that's why Iger, when he came back, he's like, we're going to start focusing on the creative again. 
And listen, Disney's been through these these booms and busts. There was a that that time in the late eighties, early nineties when the yeah. animation movies were terrible. And then, you know, you had the um uh Katzenberg era when he brought back sort of the magic, the Lion King, Aladdin. They had that wonderful run of Lion King, Aladdin, Little Mermaid, and it was just like, wow, they're back. And then Pittsburgh, Pixar started showing up and it's like, wow, Disney really know, knows how to do it. Now, remember, the heart of Disney is animation. So if they are not nailing the animation, then that yeah. then yes, there's a heart problem there. And there was a moment where you thought Pixar would never lose an Oscar. They, and now Pixar yeah. can't make a film to, to survive. If they were a standalone yes. corporation, they'd be in the in the red right now trying to figure out what to do next. Right. Their their latest releases just are not. Uh, holding on to the true values of the storytelling that they once had. So, yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested in, in, in seeing how Avatar plays itself out because Disney is such a big picture. It's such a big yep. investment and some big promises that Disney's going to have to make some major decisions here. So the next few weeks, I'll be very curious on what the what the corporate says as the film plays itself out and what excuses they have and who they're going to throw under the bus and all that kind of stuff. I think if what, what'll be interesting to see is sort of the the first week sort of the press i mean obviously the the trade press will hail it as a hit regardless because that's just what they do but it'll be interesting to see what happens in stock price um if stock price starts to dip then that means that a lot of people aren't are like oh boy disney's gonna lose a, a buttload of more money on this movie and they've got three more coming and it'll be interesting to see like what cameron's saying because cameron's not one to known to follow a script <laughs> Uh, when it comes to PR and press, so it'll be interesting to see like what he start, you know, what yeah, what, what he his, stirs what up, he, <laughs> what he stirs up exactly, and so because he has to defend next, his career on this one, he's not just playing games at the box office. I've said it a million times, and I'll say it again. I've never been bet against James Cameron. He is a visual storyteller. He knows how to fashion visual elements that just grab an audience and don't let go. Now we're in a different world now where, you know, we've got since 2009, where we've been barded with decades of Marvel movies and, you know, spectacle that and 3D, all the Marvel movies, let's not forget, are all 3D movies. So 3D kind of became sort of corny again. And so that's what really saved that really lifted Avatar was the sort of the immersive 3D element of it. So is that going to be enough this time around? I don't know. So we'll see. Interesting. Hey, we have three episodes left before this year is up. So coming up in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing some 2022 wrap ups and some summaries. I want to hear some predictions for 2023. So you better start thinking about that, making a short list of. What do you think 23 is going to look like and what we're going to see coming up in Hollywood? Because I want some inside scoop there. Better uh, call I'm, your friends on this one. i do that. I will. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, we have to do a little bit of a celebration and cover your favorite Christmas stories. So that's two weeks from this week. We'll be doing the Christmas the Christmas episode. It's two days before Christmas. We'll be doing it on the 23rd of December. How great is that going to be? We'll be wearing our Christmas sweaters. I'm going to wear Santa drinking hat. Drinking our... Our vision craft brew straight from the mug with um, some mold vision craft. No, brew. We, we're coming out. We're coming out with a special Christmas egg, uh, Christmas brew. So <laughs> wonderful. Stand I'll by. be drinking that. Can't wait for my six pack to show up for that one. All right, <laughs> 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 uh, my friend. Good to see you. And thanks for uh, to Tim Heidel last week for filling in for me. We have the two Tims bookending yes. you here. You're, yeah, you good Look stuff going on. Yep. Well, um, maybe we can. Uh, 
rotate us around every once in a while. We'll get, get you. Uh, yeah, we'll have, maybe we'll start. We'll be like the Tonight Show. We'll have like a bevy of uh, guest hosts that we can fill in for you every now and then. Yeah. We just need, we need like another, a third Tim. So we got a rotating table of Tim. So yeah, when you, you uh, mention a Tim in your newsletter, it's always going to be true. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get on, I'll get on my Rolodex to find. So we have uh, uh, the three amigos of Tim's. <laughs> and Lydia, thank you for always being there for us. We know it's late for you in London. At least I know it's late for you in London because I'm also late here in Paris. I can't wait to see you tomorrow. This weekend, we're going to go to Keith. We're going to miss you. Lydia and I are going to dinner with our, yeah, our significant others on Saturday night. So we're going to yay. Good for talk you about guys. You plenty. Thanks for including <laughs> me. Appreciate it. You'll be in love. our hearts. Okay, great. I'll <laughs> uh, see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>